Hello. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. We are recording this on Halloween. Uh, one of my this favorite holidays. Halloween. This is you've never even seen that movie. I know. I just had a friend who was obsessed with it, and so she sang it all the time. And this is it. one of my favorite holidays, and uh, I feel like there's been a bit of a backlash uh, this year to uh, people being like, being like, it, it's oh, it's spooky season. Uh, you're thirty, uh, and I'm like, no, it is actually good in a society to have one time of year where you. Um, even in a joking way, like celebrate ghoulishness, um, morbidity, dark energy, uh, dark energies, the, occult, the, a, the undead, the, the afterlife. Yeah, um, think it. You got to think about death. The leaves are getting crispy and falling off the trees, yes, and we have yes, to get in touch yes. with all that dark shit that happened in all of our past. Uh, and even if it is in a, a a jokey way, or even if it is your like ma- boss or manager dressing up as Ted Lasso, there is there's also a it is our our closest carnival. Uh, yes. esque holiday yep. of of people being able to dress as weird inversions and just uh l- you know let loose a little bit and get goofy even yeah. if it is in the the stupidest lamest way that people are able to get goofy which is in my opinion uh um picking whatever pop culture thing is in the news at that moment yeah. or like a bad pun or something yeah um as long as you're having fun with it yeah anything goes oh yes, I'm I'm not feeling the Halloween spirit as much this year and I need to explore why because I used to love throwing on a costume especially a slutty one costume I mean I, I am I'm get I'm getting older I'm, mar- I'm married <laughs> like <laughs> the the urge to you know throw my ass in a circle uh in in some uh uh weird get up is it's it's diminishing yeah. over time but I would rather do that on a random Tuesday yes but, uh I've been trying to perfect a good casual scary skeleton costume over the last few years yeah um and the only difficulty is is that because of fucking phoebe bridgers dressing like a skeleton all the time now (laughs) it looks like i'm dressing like phoebe bridgers i'm like no (laughs) i'm just a scary skeleton just a scary skeleton i'm that thing that is contained within us all a scary skeleton yeah yeah it's in it is in you it is in you and it's cool is it in you yeah is it it's, in you? Is it in you? It All right. Is. Should we get? All right. We let's get into start, it? Yeah, that's my little Halloween rant. All right. All right. Yeah, let's do it. Here we go. Um, we're we're back. We're back in the movie. We never left the movie. It's <laughs> always been the movie. All right. Gentle, substantially muffled by both a uh, Fukuama micro microfiltration mask and oxygenated lucite portabubble. <laughs> Boys. <laughs> All secretaries except Secretary of Mexico and Secretary of Canada. The cabinet's Motown girl puppets decked out for climactic camp are all in wicked three-piecers with slicked back straight hair and enormous robber baron steer horn mustaches, <laughs> which mustaches could be straighter, but on, on the whole, pretty impressive mustaches for female puppets. <laughs> Chief. Secretary of Defense. So then how was the big game, Mr. President? Gentle. Ulster boys, seminal, visionary, an outstanding experience. I now say things like outstanding instead of boss, but also seminal. Ollie, man, I saw something outstandingly visional in seminary yesterday. I do not refer to the football game. I normally don't much get into football. All that grunting, mud everywhere, not my scene ordinarily. The most diverting single thing of the game was one of the two teams' punters. This one slim cat with an outsized leg and slightly less outsized arm. Oh my god, is this Orin? Yeah. So this I is, like saying something is not my scene. Not my scene. Um, th- this is also, it was briefly referenced at the end of last episode slash segment. 
is that there's some timing confusion from like what actually happened in experialism versus uh, mm, the editorializing Mario, yeah. of what Mario and maybe is doing. just what he uh, remembers yeah. from his own his own past. Yeah. Never saw punts I could hear before. Woom, blam. I ate an entire wiener stem to stern while one punt was in the air. People stood around conferring and making a racket and going to the restroom and coming back and eating concessions all while this one cat's punts were still in the air. What was that cat's name again, RT? Secretary of Interior. May I respectfully ask whether this is to be a lunch meeting, Mr. President? Is that why these Chinese calendars, Zodiac, Year of the Tiger, and like rat Szechuan restaurant paper placemats are all at our places next to our water pitchers? Are we going to get to tuck into some Chinese takeout, Chief? Mario's oral background because becomes something with a brisk cornet, and there's some glove-muffled finger-snapping from JGFC who's lapsed into a visionary reverie. Secretary of Transportation. Always been partial to the General Sue's chicken if we're... Rodney Tyne, Chief of United States Office of Unspecified Services. President Gentles asked us all here this morning to put our collective expertise together on an issue about which we in Unspecified Services believe he's been hit with a truly seminal set of creative insights. Gentle. Gentlemen, we're both pleased and concerned to report that our seminal experiment in the territorial reconfiguration of Onan, which takes us to note 177, the officially spun term for making Canada take U.S. terrain and letting us dump pretty much everything we don't want onto it is territorial reconfiguration. Great concavity and great convexité are more like U.S. slash Canadian street argo that got adopted and genericized by the media. Back to the text. Uh, in the territorial reconfiguration of Onan has been a thoroughgoing logistical coup, more or less. Delaware is looking a bit crowded, and one or two curvy-horned animals apparently got by the tactical squads, and there's rather less overall good sportsmanship in downstate New New York than we'd like to see, but overall I think thoroughgoing coup would not be out of line as a term to describe this sort of success. Uh, Tyne. Now it's time to think about how to pay for it. <laughs> All secretaries. Stiff turns to look at each other. Tie and mustache straightenings. Gulping sounds. Gentle. Rod informs me Marty's got the preliminary figures on gross costs, while Chet's boys have provided us with some projections on gross revenue losses from the reconfiguration of taxable territories and households and businesses and that there. Secretary of Transportation and Secretary of Treasurer pass around thick bound folders, each emblazoned with the yawning red skull that emblazons all bad news memos in the gentle administration. Folders opened and scanned by all secretaries. Sounds of jaws hitting the tabletop. A couple mustaches fall off altogether. One secretary heard to ask whether there's even a name for a figure with this many zeros. Gentle's portabubble on screen is hit right over his plastic-wrapped corsage by a half-chewed raisinette to half-hearted audience cheers. Another cross-dressed Motown puppet is throwing a tiny string noose over a beam at the back of the velvet-lined cabinet room. <laughs> Gentle. Boys. Men. Before anybody needs oxygen here, holding a placative hand up against the bubble's glass, let Rod here explain that despite a quantitative downer-type quality to these figures, all we merely have here is just what Rod might call an exaggerated example of a quadrennial problem any administration with vision is going to have to face eventually anyway. By the way, the unfamiliar but welcome face on my left here is Mr. P. Tom Veals of Veals Associates Advertising, Boston, USA, N.A., all secretaries, not terribly placated sounding mutterings of salutation to Veals. Mr. P. Tom Veals, a tiny little caucasoid Tootsie Pop stick puppet <laughs> body and an enormous face that's mostly front teeth and spectacles. Yo. <laughs> 
Valentine. Wasn't Gentles like on a respirator at the beginning of this scene? Yeah, he was wearing like an oxygen mask uh, before, oxygen and now mask? he's just in an oxygenated bubble wearing a surgical mask. Okay. He's very afraid of germs. Sorry. Um, Tyne. And to Tom's own left, may I also present the charming and delightful Ms. Luria P., Indicating with a pointer, a puppet simply beyond its pulchritudinous belief. Yes. Sorry not to to divert too much. Why would the head of unspecified services uh, be uh, indicating um, anxiety over budget amounts? Yeah. Uh, the uh, the the clandestine services they just take the money. They don't care. Yeah. The, you figure it out. Uh, the, uh, uh, in the middle of our gigantic morass about trying to get like a uh, dental health care provided by Medicare for people uh under who have under seventy thousand dollars a year of income uh, who are over 55 years of age yeah. uh and have started a small business uh in a uh inner city na- or a, a, a disadvantaged neighborhood sure uh th- that is a, a a contentious belief that is taking the democratic party to blows but the uns- uh, our current gov- uh, office of unspecified services, the CIA, just goes to Congress and is like, uh, "Yeah, our uh, agents are getting tummy aches from uh, unspecified attacks. Money, uh, please. Money, please. money, please, money, please, money, please." And yeah, the entirety of Congress, ninety nine percent of them are like, "Yes, sir, absolutely, at any amount." Yeah, Bill- here, here's ten billion dollars to increase pension fund. Like, yeah, no, I, d- I know what you mean. I'm, I'm assuming that a, this is probably not actually historically accurate yeah, within yeah, yeah. the context of the thing, but also. It, I think it's maybe implying that Tyne is really driving here. Yeah, yeah, I, I get, you know? I get what he's doing, but it is. Yeah, yeah, it does it like the, the the fucking CIA doesn't ask for money. Yeah, they just, they just take. They it. just get yeah blank check. Uh, the the uh, may I present the charming, delightful Ms. Luria P. Indicating with pointer a puppet simply beyond pulchritudinous belief. The cabinet room's conference table seems to ascend ever so slightly as Luria P. cocks a well penciled eyebrow. <laughs> Still time. Gentlemen, what the president is articulating is that what we face here is a microsmic exemplar of the infamous democratic triple bind faced by visionarians from FDR and JFK on down. The American electorate, as it's, it's every right, on one hand demands the sort of millennial statesmanship and vision, decisive action, tough choices, lots of programs and services. See, for instance, the territorial reconfiguration, for example, that will lead a renewed community into a whole new era of interdependent choice and freedom. <laughs> gentle the rhetorical chapeaus off to you babe uh tyne rising eyes now two glittery red points in his round faces felt the eyes two tiny smoke detector bulbs run off a single uh triple a cell taped to the very back of the back of the public surgical gown now speaking in the most general terms if the president's vision dictates the tough choice of cutting certain programs and services our statistical people predict with reasonable inductive certainty that the american electorate will whinge veals Winge, Luria P. to time. This is a Canadian idiom, chérie. <laughs> Veals. And who is this chick? Tyne, looking momentarily blank. Sorry, Tom. Canadian idiom, whinge. Complain, petition for redress, assemble, march in those five abreast demonstrating lines, shake upraised <laughs> fists in unison. Whinge. Uh, indi- indicating photos on easels behind him of various historical pressure and advocacy groups whinging. <laughs> yeah, the civil rights movement was just, win- big whinge. just whinging. He- Here's the thing about this whole segment. This is one of those things that is funny to read and interesting to think about, but in the adaptation of it, this it, Mario's entire movie, which is now taking up 60 pages, More, 70 pages, more, something yeah. like that, 
uh, could be reduced to a two minute se- segment in, sure. in an episode in or episode. something. You know, yeah. you just get the popsicle sticks. You get a, a little bit of monologuing about interdependence. You get some of this information mm-hmm. about uh, 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 unspecified services. Scripts already written. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but you, but you know. You can very much get the point of this and get the effect of what this is like yeah. in, in like a second. Yeah. You know? Uh, Secretary of Treasury, and we already have an all too good idea of what will happen if we attempt any sort of conventional revenue enhancements. <laughs> Secretary of State, tax revolt. Secretary of HEW, a windathon chief. Secretary <laughs> of Defense, Tea Party. Gentle, hey, hey, hey. Gentle, bullseye, Wingeville, political Wingeside. <laughs> A serious drag-caliber lapse in mandate. We've already promised no new enhancements. I told them on Inauguration Day. I said, look into my eyes. No new enhancements. I pointed at my (laughs) eyes up there and said that was one tough choice that was not going to rain on anybody's program. Rod and Tom and I had that three-planked platform exhibit. One, waste. Two, no new enhancements. Three, find somebody outside the borders of our community selves to blame. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that uh, that that's how how you do it. Uh, Tyne. So then a double bind so far with potential whinging on both flanks. Secretary of Treasury, and yet the financial communities demand a balanced federal budget. The Reserve Board all but insists on a balanced budget. Mm. Our balance of trade with the handful of nations we're still trading with requires a stable buck, and so a balanced budget. Tyne. The third flank, Chet, of the triple bind: outflows required, inflows restricted, balance demanded. Gentle. The classic executive branch Kerberos horned dilemma. The thorn in the Achilles tendon of democratic process. <laughs> I like the gentle's voice. Uh, does anybody here, by the way, hear sort of high pitch? <laughs> All secretaries blank glances at one another. Veals blows nose at high volume. Gentle knocking experimentally on interior surfaces of porta bubble. Sometimes I hear a pitch at a high range beyond most people's hearing, admittedly, but this seems like a different type of high pitch. All secretaries, necktie not adjusting, polished tabletop studying. (laughs) Gentle. That would be a no on the pitch then. (laughs) Veals. Could this all be moved up along to at least a canter, guys? (laughs) Tyne. Perhaps it's the distinctive high pitch that sometimes precedes your getting ready to announce some seminal visionary insight you've achieved into the previously intractable triple bind, sir. Gentle. Babe, Rod, again, a direct hit. Gentlemen, have a gander at these restaurant exhibits of the sinoepathetic calendrical scheme. Tyne, meaning, of course, these placemats right here bearing directly on the president's revenue vision. Gentle. Gentlemen, as you all know, I've just returned at extremely high speeds, burping up the taste of wieners. I'm pretty sure we're just crawling with every sort of microbe that makes publicly vended concessions a scourge and menace that... Tyne, uh, ixnayish hand signal. Gentle. But so, gentlemen, I'm fresh back from a goodwill appearance at a post-collegiate bowl game at which I ingested the pre-mentioned Franks. But the real (laughs) point is, do any of you guys happen to know the name of that collegiate bowl game? Secretary of HUD. We thought you'd said it was the Forsythia Bowl, Chief. (laughs) The Forsythia Bowl. Gentle. That, Mr. Sivnik, is because that's what I was thinking its name was. In fact, uh, uh, its name, in fact, was en route when we'd all interfaced on the old scrambler. That's what the name was when I did the anthem there in 91. <laughs> Luria P. Holding up zodiacalized, zo- zodiacalized placemat with a slight grease-coroned spot off of hot and sour... Sorry. Uh, <laughs> a slight grease-coroned spot of hot and sour, sour soup sauce, in yes. the upper left corner. Uh 
Perhaps you would now care to tell your cabinet what the contest of football calls itself, M. President. <laughs> Gentle, with a showman-like look at Veals, who's probing the gap between his mammoth incisors with the business cards of the CEOs of Pillsbury and PepsiCo. Boys, I heard punts, burped red hots, smelled beer foam, and recoiled from public urinals at the Kennel Ration Magnavox Kemper Insurance Forsythia Bowl. Uh, that's the end of that segment. So stupid. Do you imagine... Here's, here's the thing. I imagine the production design of Mario's movie being very, you know, shot, like in you decorated inside of... Uh, shoe boxes and, mm-hmm. and and very you know slaps slapstick and uh, you know a di- diorama like ch- children's diorama totally but the other thing is is that i imagine the camera work and and like technical production of it being sh- shockingly good enough oh yeah uh, y- like shockingly good and that's the thing that really sells you yeah. on it you know well, also it's just like he's thought of everything even right. the and it's a, a sounds also low-key extremely complex like the fact that when they see how much Experialism costs. Someone starts to try to hang. One of the backup singers <laughs> tries, to, tries hang to hang themselves. themselves. Yeah, <laughs> like that's that's. What yeah, I think. <laughs> but then you also have to imagine it being like a popsicle. It's figure. a popsicle figure with a noose made of like twine. <laughs> oh, oh no, uh, the noose should be made out of um, shit. What are those things called? Um, pipe cleaners. Oh, a pipe cleaner. Noose. <laughs> um, yeah, I. I I I guess we are supposed to get the sense that Mario is a bit of a genius of, of filmmaking. Yeah, he's a. I would I would say so. Okay, the, I think that that it's outsider therein, art. Yeah, he, it's a, it's classic outsider art. Mm-hmm. It's like the Karen Carpenter story, right? Which you've told me about and which I need to see. Yeah, we need to watch. All right, let's move on. Yes, back back to uh, a, a slightly easier thing to read. We're in the year of the Depend Adult Undergarment on a white flag group commitment. To the, tu- yeah. to the tough shit, but you still can't drink group <laughs> down in Braintree this past July. Don- Braintree is one of the best place names in America. Braintree. Braintree, Mass. Tree Shout brain. out to Braintree. I don't think get I've t- ever been. Get in touch if you're, if you're a Braintreener. Yeah. Braintreener. Uh, if you're brain leaf or brain branch. Yeah, brain branch. <laughs> <laughs> the brain roots of the Braintree. <laughs> uh, Don G. The brain stem. Uh, the brain stem. Donji up the podium revealed publicly about how he was ashamed that he still as yet had no real solid understanding of a higher power. Mm-hmm. Uh, it suggested in the third of Boston AA's 12 steps that you turn to your diseased will, you turn to your diseased will over to the direction and love of God as you understand him. It's supposed to be one of AA's major selling points that you get to choose your own God. <laughs> you get to make up your own understanding of God or a higher power or whom slash whatever. But Gately at like 10 months clean at the TSBYSCD podium in Braintree opines that at this juncture he's so totally clueless and lost he's thinking that he'd maybe just rather have the white flag crocodiles just grab him by the lapels and just tell him what AA God to have an understanding of and give him totally blunt and dogmatic orders about how to turn over his diseased will to whatever this higher power is. He notes how he's observed already that some Catholics and fundamentalists now in AA had a childhood understanding of a stern and punishing type God, and Gately's heard them express incredible gratitude that AA let them at long last let go and change over to an understanding of a loving, forgiving, nurturing type God. 
But at least these folks started out with some idea of him slash her slash it, whether fucked up or no. You might think it'd be easier if you came in with zero in the way of denominational background or preconceptions. You might think it'd be easier to sort of invent a higher powerish God from scratch and then like erect an understanding. But Don Gately complains that this has not been his experience thus far. <laughs> his sole experience so far is that he takes one of AA's very rare specific suggestions and hits the knees in the AM and asks for help and then hits the knees again at bedtime and says, thank you. <laughs> it's the knees. <laughs> Whether he believes he's talking to anything slash buddy or not, and he somehow gets through that day clean. I mean, isn't that enough? This, after 10 months of ear-smoking concentration and reflection, is still all he feels <laughs> like he understands about the God angle. Publicly, in front of a very tough and hard-ass-looking AA crowd, he sort of simultaneously confesses and complains that he feels like a rat that's learned one route in the maze to the cheese and travels to that route in a ratty-type fashion and whatnot. <laughs> With the God thing being the cheese in the metaphor, <laughs> Gately still feels like he has no... Ag- I just love when they hint at the actual simplicity of what Don G says versus this incredibly verbose like yeah, yeah. Uh, explanation from the outside. Gately still feels like he has no access to the big spiritual picture. He feels about the ritualistic daily please and thank you prayers rather like a hitter that's on a hitting streak and doesn't change his jocks or jock or socks or pregame routine for as long as he's on the streak. With sobriety being the hitting streak and whatnot, <laughs> he explains. The whole church basement is literally blue with smoke. Gately says he feels like this is a pretty limp and lame understanding of a higher power, a cheese easement or unwashed athletic supporter. He says, but when he tries to go beyond the very basic rote, automatic, get me through this day, please stuff, when he kneels at other times and prays or meditates or tries to achieve a big picture spiritual understanding of a God as he can understand him, he feels nothing. Not nothing, but nothing. An edgeless blankness that somehow feels worse than the sort of unconsidered atheism he came in with. He says he doesn't know if any of this is coming through or making any sense, or if it's all just (laughs) symptomatic of a thoroughly diseased will and, quote, spirit. He finds himself telling the tough shit, but you still can't drink audience, dark, doubtful thoughts he wouldn't have fucking ever dared tell ferocious Francis man to man. He can't even look at FF in the crocodile's row as he says that at this point, the God understanding stuff kind of makes him want to puke from fear. Something you can't see or hear or touch or smell. Okay, all right. Something you can't even feel because that's what he feels when he tries to understand something to really sincerely pray to. Nothingness. He says when he tries to pray, he gets this like image in his mind's eye of the brain waves or whatever of his prayers going out and out with nothing to stop them, going, going, radiating out into like space and outliving him and still going and never hitting anything out there, <laughs> much less something with an ear, much, much less something with an ear that could possibly give a rat's ass. He's both pissed off and ashamed to be talking about this instead of how just completely good it is to be just getting through the day without ingesting a substance. But there it is. This is what's going on. He's no closer to carrying out the suggestion of the third step than the day the probie drove him over to his halfway house from Peabody Holding. The idea of this whole God thing makes him puke still, and he is afraid. Uh, yes. I think I don't know. I think the emptiness is the God, you know? It's just the, hitting the, the part about hitting the knees and just doing the asking. Like emptiness the fact that you're, is loneliness and loneliness, loneliness is loneliness. And God, God is empty, just yeah. like me. Uh, yeah, no, just like the thing about hitting the knees and I mean, that is the, he's doing it is giving yourself over to a, a higher power. And, you know, th- that's the thing about God is that uh, God doesn't respond. You know, one of my uh, you, uh, you, uh, you you give you give yourself to him. Yeah. Uh, and 
uh, and you guess what? You don't get anything back. And that's the, and, and therein in that difference of, uh, of, of give and receive. I think that that is, that is the faith. That's the faith. That's that. There you go. No, I, I remember learning in Sunday school, what the teacher we had was like, uh, you know, you ever pray for something to happen and it doesn't happen and you think that God didn't answer your prayer? He did. He just said no. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like, you know what? Tough affair. And, that, and you know what? The, the bullshit is, is that the Bible is full of all these stories of like, and then uh, Daniel asked God, tear down the walls of Jericho and God reached down with his big godly hand and like ripped a giant stone wall apart and their army went through and you're like, what the fuck? Wait, what, what, yeah, but I can't get a, like an yeah, A yeah. on this test yes. or whatever. <laughs> you can't. Yeah, you can't change yeah, but, two multiple choice bubbles for me to have me <laughs> filled in the right answer instead of the wrong one. Bible really is like a, a greatest hits reel of God yeah. as opposed to what it actually is, which is thousands and thousands of years of uh, mostly nothing. Of uh, mostly nothing, but it gives you the false impression that he's gonna like that he's give, yeah gonna do fucking. All sorts of crazy shit. Yeah. <laughs> He's gonna bring him, bring people back from the dead, dead and stuff. It's like all that Bible stuff happens, and then you are the, the whole teaching of the, the the Christian religion is like all this stuff is literally true and stuff that God d- does, but never again. Like that part of God, God has shut the book on that the part of life where He actually does shit God's for you. God's not playing that album anymore. <laughs> That's uh, got, oh, got, got a got a had a huge Look. hit with that one, and everyone really freaked out about it. Um, but that's not on the set list. Anyway, sorry, here's man. the New Testament. <laughs> I, I just look, be, just be nice to each other now. You hear? I am not a very religious person. I am broadly sympathetic to feeling the idea of the existence of a higher power, or, um, or or God, or like wanting there to be, uh, believing and feeling and and dre- dreaming and wanting there to be something outside, a higher power. Uh, but I, I don't think that Christianity does a good job of selling it. <laughs> um, let's let's talk about that at the end. Sure. <laughs> uh, and the same fucking thing happens again. The tough chain smoking TSBY SCDs group all stands and applauds, and the men give two finger whistles, and people come up at the raffle break to pump his big hand, <laughs> and even sometimes try and hug on him. It seems like every time he forgets himself and publicizes how he's fucking up in sobriety, Boston AAs fall all over themselves to tell him how good it was to hear him and to, for God's sake, keep coming for them, if not for himself, whatever the fuck that means. The tough shit, but you still can't drink group seems to be over 50% bikers and biker chicks, meaning your standard leather vests and 10 centimeter boot heels, belt buckles with little spade shaped knives that come out of a (laughs) slot in the side, tattoos that are more like murals, serious tits and cotton halters, Big beards, Harley wear, uh, wooden matches and mouth corners, and so forth. After the Our Father, as Gately and the other white flag speakers are clustered smoking outside the door to the church basement, the sound of high CC hogs being kickstarted is enough to rattle your fillings. Gately can't even start to guess what it would be like to be a sober and drug-free biker. <laughs> it's like, what would be the point? He, he imagines these people polishing the hell out of their leather and like playing a lot of really precise pool. <laughs> <laughs> this one sober biker that can't be much older than Gately and is nearly Gately's size, though with a really small head and a tapered jaw that makes him look kind of like a handsome mantis. As their master around the door, handsome he brings mantis would be a good name for something. As their master around the door, he brings a car length chopper up alongside Gately. Uh, says it was good to hear him. Shakes his hand in the complex way of N words and Harley heads. <laughs> 
Sorry. Is it? Does he actually? He use? actually spells it. Mm. Uh, he introduces his name as Robert F. Though on the lapel of his leather vest, it says Bob Death. <laughs> a biker chick's got her arms around his waist from behind, as is as is SOP. He tells Gately it was good to hear somebody new share from the heart about his struggles with the God component. It's weird to hear a biker use the Boston AA word share, much less com- component or heart. The other white flaggers have stopped talking and are watching the two men just sort of awkwardly stand there, the biker embraced from behind and straddling his throbbing hog. The guy's got on leather spats and a leather vest with no shirt, and Gately notices the guy's got a jailhouse tat of AA's weird little insignia of a triangle inside a circle on one big shoulder. Robert F. slash Bob Death asks Gately if by any chance he's heard the one about the fish. Glenn K. Wait, wait, is this the water? I don't know. This uh, is water. No, it's this not. This is water. This, it's not. I promise you. Glenn Kay in his fucking robe overhears, and of course he's got to put his, put his own oar in and breaks in and asks them all if they've heard the one. Uh, what did the blind man say as he passed by the Quincy Market fish stall? Uh, yes, this is of course the one in the famous Afroman song. And without waiting, he says, "He goes, uh, evening, ladies." A couple male white flaggers fall about, and Tamara N slaps at the back of Glenn K's head's pointy hood, but without real heat, as in, like, what are you going to do with this sick fuck? Bob Death smiles coolly. South Shore bikers are required to be extremely cool in everything they do, and manipulates a wooden match with his lip and says, no, not that fish one. Oh, he has to assume a kind of bar shout to clear the noise of his idling hog. He leans more into Gately and shouts that the one he was talking about was this wise old whiskery fish swims up to three young fish and goes, morning boys, how's the water? And swims away. And the three young fish watch him swim away and look at each other and go, what the fuck is water? Mm-hmm. And swim away. This so is right. water. This is, boop, 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 boom. The young biker leans back and smiles at Gately and gives an affable shrug and blats away. A halter top's tits smashed across his back. <laughs> Gately's forehead was wrinkled in emotional pain all the way up Route 3 home. They were in the back of Ferocious Francis's old car. Glenn Kay was trying to ask what was the difference between a bottle of 15-year-old Hennessy and a human female vagina. <laughs> Crocodile Dickie N. upriding shotgun told Glenn to try to fucking remember there was ladies present. Ferocious Francis kept... Facking. Moving. Fucking remember. Fucking remember there's ladies present. There's ladies present, Glenn. Ferocious Francis kept moving the toothpick around in his mouth and looking at Gately in the rear view. Gately wanted to both cry and hit somebody. Glenn's cheap pseudo-demonic robes had the faint, rank, oily smell of a dish towel. There was no smoking in the car. Ferocious Francis had a little oxygen tank he had to carry around and a little thin, pale blue, plastic-like tube thing that lay under his nose and was taped there and sent oxygen up his nose. All he'd ever say about the tank and the tube is that they were not his personal will, but that he'd submitted to advice, and now here he was, still sucking air and staying rapidly active. Something they seem to omit to mention in Boston AA when you're new and out of your skull with desperation and ready to eliminate your map, and they tell you how it all get better and better as you abstain and recover, they somehow omit to mention that the way it gets better and you get better is through pain, not around pain or in spite of it. They leave this out talking instead about gratitude and release from compulsion. There's serious pain in being sober, though, you find out after time. Then, now, you're, now that you're clean and don't even much want substances and feeling like you both uh, want to both cry and stomp somebody into goo with pain, these Boston AAs start in on telling you you're right where you're supposed to be and telling you to remember the pointless pain of active addiction and telling you that at least this sober pain now has a purpose. At least, at least this pain means you're going somewhere, they say, instead of the repetitive gerbil wheel of addictive pain. 
They neglect to tell you that after the urge to get high magically vanishes and you've been substanceless for maybe six or eight months, you'll begin to start to get in touch with why it was that you used substances in the first place. You'll start to feel why it was you got dependent on what was when you get right down to it, an anesthetic. Getting in touch with your feelings is another quilted sampler type cliche that ends up masking something ghastly deep and real, it turns <laughs> out, which takes us to end note 178. A more abstract but truer epigram that white flaggers with a lot of sober time sometimes change this to goes something like, don't worry about getting in touch with your feelings. They'll get in touch with you. <laughs> Back to the text. It starts to turn out that the vapider, the AA cliche, the sharper the canines of the real truth it covers. Near the end of his Ennett residency at like eight months clean and more or less free of any chemical compulsion, going to the shadhook every a.m. and working the steps and getting active and pounding out meetings like a madman, Don Gately suddenly started to remember things he would just as soon not have. Remembered. Actually, remembered is probably not the best word. It was more like he started to almost re-experience things that he'd barely even been there to experience in terms of emotionally in the first place. A lot of it was undramatic little shit, but still somehow painful. E.g., like when he was maybe 11, pretending to watch TV with his mother and pretending to listen to her PM nightly monologue, a litany of complaint and regret whose consonants got mushier and mushier. To the extent it's Gately's place to diagnose anybody else as an alcoholic, his mom was pretty definitely an alcoholic. She drank Stolichnaya vodka in front of the TV. They weren't cable ready for reasons of dollar sign. <laughs> she drank little thin glasses with cut up bits of carrot and pepper that she'd drop into the vodka. Her maiden name was Gately. Don's. That sounds good. <laughs> well, don't have too many. Uh, Don's like organic father had been an Estonian immigrant, a wrought iron worker, which is sort of like a welder with ambition. He'd broken Gately's mother's jaw and left Boston when Gately was in his mother's stomach. Gately had no brothers or sisters. His mother was sub subsequently involved with a live-in lover, a former Navy MP who used to beat her up on a regular schedule, hitting her in the vicinities between groin and breast so that nothing showed, a skill he'd picked up as a brig guard and shore patrol. Yike. At about 8 to 10 Heinekens, he used to all of a sudden throw his reader's digest against the wall and get her down and beat her with measured blows, and she'd go down on the floor of the apartment and he'd hit her in the hidden vicinity, timing the blows between her arms' little waves. Gately remembers she tried to ward off the blows with a fluttered downward motion of her arms and hands as if she were beating out flames. Gately still hasn't ever quite gotten over to look at her in state care in the long-term care Medicaid place. The MP's tongue was in the corner of his mouth and his little-eyed face wore a look of great concentration as if he were taking something delicate apart or putting it together. He'd be on one knee, knelt over her with his look of sober problem-solving, timing his shots, the blows abrupt and darting, her writhing and trying to shoot, kind of shoo them away, the darting blows. Out of the psychic blue, very detailed memories of these fights surfaced one afternoon as he was getting ready to mow the Ennett House lawn for Pat in May YDAU, when Enfield Marine PHH withheld maintenance services in reprisal, reprisal for late utilities. After the little Salem decayed beach cottage with Herman, the ceiling that breathed, the little like tract house by Mrs. Waite's tract house in Beverly's good old dining room chairs, uh, had fluted legs and Gately had scratched Don Donad and Donald in each leg with a pin down low. Higher up on the legs, the scratches became correctly spelled. It's like a lot of memories of his youth sank without bubbles when he quit school and then later only in sobriety bubbled back up to where he could get in touch with them. His mother used to call the MP a bastard and sometimes go oof when he landed one in the vicinity. 
She drank vodka with vegetables suspended in it, a habit she'd picked up from the missing Estonian, whose first name Gately read on a torn and then fucked up at least scotch-taped paper out of her jewelry box after his mother's cirrhotic hemorrhage, was Bulot. <laughs> the Medicaid long-term place was way the fuck out uh, the Ural Beach Bridge in Point Shirley across the water from the airport. The former MP delivered cheese and then later worked in a chowder factory and kept weights in the Beverly House's garage. Chowder factory? And drank Heineken beer. <laughs> come, come on, man. I know. <laughs> Boston, Boston details. <laughs> and logged each beer he drank carefully in a little spiral notebook he used to monitor his intake of alcohol. His mom's special couch for TV was nubbly red chintz, and when she shifted from seated upright to lying on her side with her arm between, between her head and the little protective doily on the couch's armrest and the glass uh, held tilting on the little space her breast left at the cushion's edge, it was a sign she was going under. Gately at like 10 or 11 used to pretend to listen and watch TV on the floor, but really be dividing his attention between how close his mom was to unconsciousness and how much stolage Nia was left in the bottle. She would only drink Stolge Nile, which she called her comrade in arms and said nothing but the comrade will do. After she went under for the evening and he'd carefully taken the tilted glass out of her hand, Don would take the bottle and mix the first couple of vodkas with Diet Coke and drink a couple of those until it lost the fire, then drink it straight. This was like a routine. Then he'd put the near-empty bottle back next to her glass with its vegetables darkening in the undrunk vodka and she'd wake up on the couch in the morning with no idea she hadn't drank the whole thing. Gately was careful to always leave her enough for a wake-up swallow, but this gesture of leaving some, Gately's now realized, wasn't just filial kindness on his part. If she didn't have the wake-up swallow, she wouldn't get off the red couch all day, and then there would be new, no new bottle that night. This was at age 10 or 11, as he now recalls. Most of the furniture was wrapped in plastic. The carpet was burnt orange shag that the landlord kept saying he was going to take up and go to wood floors. The MP worked nights, or else most nights went out, and then she'd take the plastic off the couch. Why the couch had little protective doilies on the arms when it usually had a plastic cover on it, Gately cannot recall or explain. For a while in Beverly, they had Nimitz the kitty. This all came burp burpling greasily up into memory in the space of two or three weeks in May, and now more stuff steadily like dribbles up for Gately to touch. Sober, she'd called him Bimmy or Bim because that's what she heard his little friends call him. She didn't know the neighborhood cognomen came from an acronym for Big Indestructible Moron. <laughs> his head had been huge as a child, out of all proportion, though with nothing especially Estonian about it that he could see. He'd been very sensitive about it, the head, but never told him not to call her Bim. When she was drunk and conscious, she called uh, him her Doshka or Doshka or like that. Sometimes well in the bag himself when he turned off the uncabled set and covered her with the afghan, easing the mostly empty Stoli bottle back on the little TV guide table by the bowl of darkening chopped peppers, his unconscious mom would groan and titter and call him her Doshka and good Sir Knight and last and only love and ask him not to hit her anymore. In June, he got in touch with memories that their front steps in Beverly were a pocked cement painted red even in the pox. Their mailbox was part of a whole tract housing complex's honeycomb of mailboxes on a, like, small pole, brushed steel and gray with a postal eagle on it. You needed a little key to get your mail out, and for a long time he thought the sign on it said US mail, as in US instead of US. <laughs> His mom's hair had been dry, blonde white with dark roots that never lengthened or went away. 
No one tells you uh, when th- no one tells you when they tell you you have cirrhosis that eventually you'll all of a sudden start choking on your own blood. This is called a cirrhotic hemorrhage. Your liver won't process any more of your blood, and it quote shunts the blood and it goes up your throat in a high pressure jet. Is what they told him. Is why he'd first thought the MP'd come back and cut his mom or stabbed her when he first came in after football his last season at age seventeen. She'd been diagnosed for years. She'd go to meetings, which takes us to end note 179, presumably North Shore AA meetings, but Gately never recollects hearing the word AA. All he remembers from the Times is just meetings and a diagnosis he'd construed as chivalric. <laughs> um, back to the text. She'd go to meetings for a few weeks, then drink on the couch, silent, telling him if the phone rang, she wasn't home. After a few weeks of this, she spent a whole day weeping, beating at herself as if on fire. Then she'd go back to meetings for a while. Eventually, her face began to swell and made her eyes uh, make, make her eyes piggy and her big breasts pointed at the floor and she turned the deep yellow of quality squash. This was all part of the diagnosis. At first, Gately uh, just couldn't go out to the long-term place, couldn't see her out there, couldn't deal. Then after some time passed, he couldn't go because he couldn't face her and try to explain why he hadn't come before now. Ten plus years have gone like that. Gately hadn't probably consciously thought of her once for three years before getting straight. Right after their neighbor, Mrs. Waite, got found by the meter guy dead, so he must have been nine when his mom first got diagnosed, Gately had gotten the diagnosis mixed up in his head with King Arthur. He'd ride a mop handle horse and brandish a trash can lid and a batteryless plastic lightsaber and tell the neighborhood kids he was cirrhosis of the liver, <laughs> most fearsomely loyal and fierce of Arthur's vessels. Since the summer now, when he mops Shattuck shelter floors, he hears the clop a clop a clop he used to make with his big square tongue as cirrhosis then riding. And his dreams late that night after the brain tree slash Bob death commitment seemed to set him under a sort of sea at terrific depths, the water all around him silent and dim and the same temperature he is. Should we stop there? Yes. Oh. Man. It's not good. No, it's a very poor grim, Don. grim little portrait. And poor, poor Don's mom. Yeah. Cirrhosis of the Cirrhosis liver. Cirrhosis of the liver. I can't stop thinking of Don Gailey as John Cena, and I think this would be an Oscar-winning uh, performance <laughs> from uh, from him. But it's so much It's so much interior, you know what I it mean? It is, but, well, I mean, just that se- segment is, like, imagining, uh, like, John Cena, like, sadly driving with a bunch of 70, like, septuagenarian uh, Bostonians and, like, imagining then whoever you would cast as, like, child John Cena clopping around on the mop horse and and you know uh slowly pulling the uh the the vodka bottle away from his mom while she passes out watching uh i don't know three's company or whatever yeah (laughs) on tv in the early 70s or whenever that is did you ever uh sneakily drink as a as a young boy no absolutely not (laughs) well i know this is like such a fucking thing in my house because my parents were convinced that i was like a teenage drunk and I, I had in the entirety of high school one drink of triple second Sprite, mm-hmm. but my mom would padlock with a length of chain yes. and a fucking master lock yeah. the cabinet that had liquor in it because she was convinced when my friends came over and we made jello snacks because there was jello in the house and we were hungry and we thought it was funny. Yeah. Uh, that we were putting, that we were fu- making fucking jello jig- like rum jigglers or something. Uh, I, that sounds good too. Yes, but we we absolutely did not. I I, I never ever ever drank. You, n- you I, never you you never uh did a, a sneaky drinking. Ag- again, 
in the entirety of high school, I had one drink, yeah. and it was a triple sec and Sprite yeah. that a friend, uh, like, we, we we scrolled away from a friend's house. Uh, I did not drink See, until your, college. Your mom, I should have had and your my, mom, and your you should have had my mom, because my parents did not, we moved into a new house when I was in sixth grade, and the new house came, my parents, neither of them are big drinkers, and my my mom does basically doesn't drink at all, mm-hmm. uh, and my uh, did, father enjoys, enjoys a beer, a couple of beers and a, a fine scotch. But he's yeah, yeah. not like he doesn't go to a bar and get like a fucking cocktail. Like he's yeah, yeah, yeah. you know he's dad drinking. But we inherited from the previous owners like a full liquor cabinet. That's exactly the they kind of liquor left cabinet li- they left all their booze. Was in there the kitchen. like Frangelico in there? Yeah, it was actually for serious. It was Frangelico. There was cinnamon schnapps. There was one <laughs> bottle of vodka. I remember one bottle of whiskey, one bottle of vodka. And then just a bunch of obscure Chambord was in there. The, the kind of things that people drank in the 80s for some reason. That yeah. no, like nobody has ever bought a, nobody's bought a bottle of Frangelico since 1993. Yeah. But every yeah, but liquor cabinet in every suburban home f- in that all of us grew, grew yeah. up with for some reason had Frangelico. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was definitely, I, it's possible that DeSorona? they were like, these people might, Serono. Uh, it, they were like, maybe these people will like it, or more likely, they just completely forgot that it was in that there was at there, all yeah, yeah. because it was all dusty as hell. And my my adolescent ass, I waited like two years, and then finally, I got I got the um the the bug to, to be like, to what's be like, what's drinking like? <laughs> what what's a vodka? And ha- had a a few times of like imbibing, basically by my that that's where I'm like, this is you know. I, I think I have a my relationship with drinking now is pretty much entirely social. I I don't really mm-hmm. drink alone, uh, and I I don't drink when just like chilling at home that much anymore. Yeah, it's a it's a party bev for me, but yep. uh, it could have gone it could have gone very wrong because it was fun. It, the the sneakiness of it and getting Did you literally intoxicated. The little, the little bottles with water to at keep first the I levels didn't because I don't think my parents were paying attention at all. Mm-hmm. And then there was an unfortunate incident where I wrote about drinking whiskey in my diary that my mom read, and then they uh, got they got rid of all the, See, the leftover booze. So. That's your mom reading your diary. That's not good. No, no, but I should have I shouldn't have written it down either. Yeah, I, sh- well, I should have gotten a lock or something. Him. But that's all. Anyway, the the idea this D- Don Gately adolescent drinker is like I it, it's it's. Sad but relatable in a way of like the very thing that's basically taking your mom down. Yeah. You're also you're also getting involved in it because you. you but like also, it. there's like this. I don't know. There's there's a he does a good job. Obviously, we've had uh, stories of like acute horror, mm-hmm. like um, the fucking molested, non-responsive yeah. uh, daughter. Yeah. But he does a great job of like kind of writing the the banal grimness of of certain facets of life you know mm-hmm. uh and i feel like that is a, a very good segment of that right like it really sorry i'm eating a croissant it, it wasn't that many details but every one of them added up to yeah, like you almost don't need to know the rest of her life because you yeah it's also with yeah. this estonian guy named bulot <laughs> bulot of welder with ambition <laughs> Um, uh, should, should we talk about God, God anymore? <laughs> I mean, I kind of said everything that I, 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 like, I don't know. I, I, I very much understand what he's writing about there. And I think that it, the way that he's talking about it is specifically interesting is that that thing of being like when you're an atheist or something, or when you just don't think about it that much, you just don't think about it. You don't it. think about it. It's not, it's and not then when problem. you're like being told 
you need to find you need to get, <laughs> find God, then you're like, oh my God, what? Where? How? I, ha- I, I have this problem. I can. I do not. I I imagine that there. That I I believe in s- something. But I don't know what the fuck it is. I don't know what it looks like. And I, I was raised Catholic. And so my first vision of God was big guy. Big, big guy. Ro- big robot. He's a big guy. Big guy in the sky. And now I'm like, that That doesn't seem right to me either. But uh, the the depiction of just being frustrated of not being able to like yeah. envision envision what God is. I'm like, I get I get it. I have the same problem. See, I guess I don't force myself to think about it that much. But I'm, <laughs> I'm very, I find it very easy to be, uh, you know, I'm a big uh, guy. What what is God but the smile of every newborn baby? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like uh, it, it's easy to be like, oh, yeah, the 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 rustle of wind in the in the autumn leaves sure. of a changing color yeah. color tree yeah. is that not God? You know, like yeah, which you know, yeah, I I, God, I get that. God is just vibes. God God is vibes. <laughs> yes, yeah, and that's uh, you know when when uh. I what's the quote from the office? Like I feel God in this chilies tonight. <laughs> I'm like I I that I'm I haven't seen that episode. I haven't watched that much yeah. of the office, but uh uh th- you know what when everything is uh vibrating correctly that yeah. you know God God is there. God also, God pra- is praying looking... is basically talking to yourself. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a good way to it's 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 self therapy. Uh, God is looking up at the night sky and thinking about how far away those fucking stars are. <laughs> I just, uh, I as a practice, I honestly think getting on your knees and saying, uh, please, please, and, and thank then you. getting on your knees again and saying thank you is not a bad way. Yeah, to I mean, life. that that's the funny thing about that segment is it, it's like it, he's doing it and it's clearly working for him. Yeah. And the thing is, is that I would argue to him the that the God is the thing working. God, yeah, the it's, you know, not it's not the destination it's the journey it's just yeah it's every every day you do it is yeah and, god god is working and the pl- saying please and thank you is is part of the process that's making it work and what you are saying please and thank you to is the process of getting better yeah um and but also <laughs> uh you know i i don't know if that it conforms to uh to AA thought, to AA, to AA ideology, that you can just be like, maybe the God is the AA, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Is is religion the, is it the belief in the, is it just the, is it the act of believing or is it just, you know what I mean? Yeah. How, how do I put this? Like, it, well, it's kind of tautological because it's like the, the AA says that you need to believe in a higher power to mm-hmm. get better. But then perhaps the higher power that you believe in is the getting is the better. Getting better. Yeah. Yeah. You made me a you made me a believer. <laughs> That's probably what that that guy was singing about. Yeah. Uh I don't know. Much, I, much to consider. Much to consider. Yeah. Maybe the God is the process. Um, God, God is empty. God God's a God's the vessel that needs to be filled with you. Yeah. And then you think about uh, don't quit before the miracle. Yeah. The thing is, is that uh, the don't quitting part is yeah. the miracle. That yes, that you you nailed it. Don't don't worry about getting in touch with your feelings. They'll but they'll get they'll in get in touch with, with you. you. But that, and also the 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 other thing that struck me or that I was like, oh damn yeah, is like pain. Pain is how you get better. Pain is how you get so all of this, all this discussion yeah. is what what we're all getting around to is that process. Yeah, it's, it's a about process. process. And yeah. the thing is, I think that it is something very specific about humans. This is why we like stories so much, and why we like stories to have 
endings yes is that we do not like process we yeah. like results we like finishing things yeah um and, and, I, go- I say, and I goals th- and I th- things to work toward but then and but not I, yeah. just like the work to the goal is not the thing i think this is a very like deeply like almost biologically human thing is like you need american to, but yes but yes human you you need to like it, that humans have like achievement mindset and totally. i think that's one of the things that makes us the way that we are mm-hmm. uh and um living in the doing is never satisfying yes you need to get somewhere you need to achieve something and i think that that maybe i would argue is maybe one of the things that is fascinating about aa and recovery to uh Dave Foster Wallace, yeah, is that it is by its very nature an unending process. Yes, there is no achievement. Yeah, you it is just the doing. It's and it's the not it's the doing is what you're not doing, which is drinking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that that makes it a very interesting topic for a novel. Yes, and part of what this novel is trying to do, you know, is that it, to live in the process mm-hmm. to uh, be a as much as he can do a never ending tale of like circular yes. recurrence and stuff it's like that. It's annular. Yeah. He loves, he loves the annular shape, doesn't he? Yeah. And um, then also you have, you have AA, which is the point is basically to not do the thing and then you'll be not doing the thing and then doing the things to not do the thing forever. Yeah. And then you have junior tennis, which is like, I would like to be ranked number one and win a tournament. <laughs> yes. So I will I will literally fucking kill myself. I will kill myself if I don't get ranked number one. Why do you want to be ranked number one? So I don't have to fucking kill myself. So I don't have to kill myself. <laughs> that's that's what Eric Clipperton failed to 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 figure out is that he didn't live in the process. He didn't live in the process. It's not about getting it's not about the trophies as as Drake would like to say. It's about <laughs> it's about all the things that you're doing do you every think, day that aren't getting trophies. Do you think Drake lives in the process? Oh man, I don't know. That's a, <laughs> that's one achievement-minded dude. You can't yeah. be where he is without being achievement-minded. Do you think Beyonce lives in the process? Um, yee, that's a good question. I I don't know. She she's definitely achievement-minded as well. But it's like, are, are these people ever willing to just like you know chill out and like sit in their hotel lobby that is their house and just like uh like just vibe? Yeah, you know who I do you think lives in that when we were just Rihanna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I honestly, I, she seems like she's having a good, uh, she's very much in yeah. I, I guess we're just, I'm just cycling through fave musicians. Uh, it seems like James Murphy really lives in the process. Yeah, I think so. That that, uh, that LCD sound system for him is not a product, but it is the making of things. Well, especially you know? now that I know that he's gotten into fishing, I feel like fishing is a big... Uh, fishing is a big live in the process That's a process thing. thing. Yeah. I'm, try- I'm trying to get better Catch- that, Catching we'll a fish is very much... It appears to me, at least what I know about fishing, catching a fish is not the point of fishing. Yeah, the point. The is point going of fishing out. is to wait, fish. Wait, yeah. It's the uh, waiting. Yeah. The, so, yeah, I the, fishing. Yeah, that's a that's a process oriented thing. I would I would I would say that long distance running for me is a uh, process because. Is is there an end goal? Yes, but I have to remind myself that every time that I am not falling down on the ground <laughs> or stopping, I am running. I am doing the thing. Like honestly, that's the best thing I can do for myself in, in those moments. So I'm like, look at me doing the thing. Yes, <laughs> I am running uh, right now. I am not a very good long distance runner. I try to run. I like two miles, little two mile jogs. Yeah, like three or four times. That a might week. be more of a goal oriented. But thing. I do get it because that is the thing about jogging, which. Sucks. <laughs> uh, 
a, bullsh- a bullshit activity yeah. uh, it that is so that fu- fucking stupid. But it is. The only point of it is one foot after another. And it's pain, which yeah, it is, is good. pain, yes. Yeah. Pain isn't always good, but it's it's useful. Y- yes. You yes. put your hand in the box. Put your hand put put your hand in the put your hand in the gom jabber, uh, Don Gailey. That every time I go out for a run, I am putting my hand in the gom gom jabber. Uh, gom jabber. I don't know how how you're supposed Kareem to. Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Yeah, the the Kareem Abdul. I put gom, my hand in the Kareem Abdul Jabbar and say, "Let's go." Yeah, let's go. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Thank you, sir. May I have another? Yes. Um. Anything else? No, I think we figured out the the problem and the solution yep. of human existence. I feel pretty good about that. Let's let's go. Uh, let's go. Yeah, drink I, some beers I, and smoke some weed. <laughs> 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 All right. Bye. <laughs>